0: This is Counter Stories, a podcast by people of color, for people of color, and everyone else. I'm Anthony Galloway, pastor of St. Mark AME Church in Duluth, Minnesota, and senior partner at the Dendros Group.
1: I'm Holly Lee, owner of the Other Media Group, VP of Programming at Ampers, and Counter Stories producer.
0: And our fellow uh, Counter Stories crew members, Don Eubanks and Luz María Frias, couldn't be with us today, but we have a special guest um uh, for our topic today that's going to get to work with us as somebody who's been in and around community for a long time, helping to make uh things like this uh happen at many different levels. And so we would like to introduce uh Tony Carter. Uh, and I'll have you kind of introduce yourself.
2: Well, hello, and thank you. It's great to be here on Counter Stories. With you. I'm Tony Carter. Uh, among other things, I am currently serving on the Metropolitan Council for District 14, which are the areas west of 35E. I have been in a former life since or before January of this year, County Commissioner for District 4, which is St. Paul on the Ramsey County Board of commissioners, uh, this western area of St. Paul, I should say. And I currently work with Sankofa Leadership Network. Thank you for having me
0: on the call. Uh, I really appreciate that. In full disclosure, this is my mama-in-law. Um, I figure we can make sure our folks know that. Um, but also, um, you know, when when you served on the county Board of County Commissioners, you were the first Black county commissioner in the state of Minnesota. Isn't that correct?
2: That is correct. uh, Okay. (laughs) I don't know if that's a distinction for me, but it is a distinction for our community, for our state, that we've continued to increase that quantity. Thankfully, we have a few, a couple now.
0: Right, right. I just it it stands out to me because you know it, I I keep reminding folks that as much as we have all these different conversations like the one we'll have today, um you know we're still in a space where Black firsts are happening in areas that you would many folks would have assumed that had already happened. And so, it's, it, for me, it's it, it's a it's a little badge that 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 is really important to me. So I thank you for your service and I thank you for um you know for just kind of being that constant presence. One, one of the things I think is going to be absolutely beneficial today, we are going to get, this is part of our legislative wrap-up series where we talk about some of the things that have happened. Uh, we are, as we've said in previous recent previous episodes, we are in a space where lots of legislation has passed that affects a lot of people's lives and a lot of people in uh, people of color's lives in particular here in the state of Minnesota. And so this is part one of multiple series we're gonna be doing on the topic of one of the pieces of legislation, the uh, voting rights being restored to formerly incarcerated Minnesotans. And so we're gonna start teeing this up a little bit so that you know what the law, um, what what was passed um, and some of the pieces around that. And then we're gonna get into a conversation about some of the impacts from our various perspectives on our communities. Um, and I know there are several that we'll be bringing to the table today. So I'm going to pass it to you, Flea, because you've got some notes around some of the specific things that um, led into this law being passed and then some of the things that the law actually says.
1: This is a topic that I've heard about for a very, very long time. Um, I've known people who have been working on this issue for 10 years, probably more, Um you know, and it, it was always something where when I was younger and I would ask, you know, well, if somebody, you know, is out of jail and they did their time where, you know, they paid their debt. And, and then I'm like, well, then why can't they vote? And I was always told voting is a privilege and you mm-hmm. lose that privilege if you don't hold up your end. So that's what I was I was told. So hearing mm-hmm. about this new law, which is, you know, new to Minnesota, but a lot of other states has this going on already. Um, mm-hmm. The restore the vote basically means that once someone is released from prison, they are eligible to vote in the state of Minnesota. And previously, they had to go through all of their the different prison releases that they have Pro, uh, probation, um, those mm-hmm. sorts of things. They, if they were on probation, they, they couldn't vote. So this is something that is giving an estimated 50,000 plus, mm-hmm. plus people the opportunity to vote. Um, and it's even included, like a voter registration card is included in discharge packages now um, for people who are leaving prison. So I just I think that's exciting for a lot of reasons, mainly like encouraging voting, but also giving back that quote unquote privilege when all of those sayings that people said to me when I asked these questions long ago were, you know, they paid their debt and then, well, they don't get this privilege back because they did wrong. And I always felt like those were very conflicting responses to my questions. Yeah.
0: The the um, uh, office of the secretary of state in their newsroom has the has the has the headline: All Minnesotans who are not currently incarcerated for a felony conviction are now able to register to vote, and it also says that eligible 16 and 17 year olds are now also able to pre-register to vote, becoming automatically registered the day they turn 18. And and so in addition to restoring the rights to vote for folks who have served their time, um, you know, instead of having to what used to be said is you had to be off paper, meaning you had to go through all these hoops to not have anything, any of those things hanging over you still in order to get your right to vote. And it was still a proactive thing that you had to do. This, you know, kind of makes it a part um, which moves it closer to what I thought was supposed to be the impetus and that is voting is a right like this is something that we are supposed to be able to do it's what makes us full citizens and so um i think there's there's a lot of meaning that here in addition to making it very easy for folks who are younger to just be set up and ready to vote so if you pre-register i can see school districts across the across the state being able to say just like you have to do selective service and they talked about that all through high school now they can talk to you about voting and getting ready to um and be ready to vote at 18 i just it, i think it's 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 powerful i
2: think it's powerful and it's exciting it's also not only a right but it is a responsibility there you of go citizenship So we are introducing, I think this piece about having 16 and 17 year olds register early is amazing. We're introducing those young people and preparing them for the opportunity to exercise their responsibility to the society that they are a part of. Felon voting, you know really, as you talked about it, Halli, is important because it restores not just that right, but it also recognizes the responsibility that each one of us has as we participate in community with others to do what is necessary to hold up a society. And one of those necessary items is to participate in the vote. When I was, uh, you know, a, a time when I find people knocking at doors, campaigning for myself and for others is a time when I'm likely to have someone come out and be incredibly confused even as to whether or not mm-hmm. they can vote. Because as you said, it used to be off paper. Mm-hmm. Had to be off paper. And quite often, when people are mobile, they're moving around, they haven't received that paper necessarily, or they don't recall if it was the right paper that qualifies them for this vote that we're talking about. And they'll be confused and simply not vote because they're afraid. Mm -hmm. They could then be penalized for having tried to exercise a right and a responsibility that, that they think they might have but they're not really sure even though they're living in the community they have a responsibility together with their neighbors for maintaining a safe and livable community they are paying in many cases mm-hmm. taxes, and they don't know if they can participate so they don't know if they have the same responsibility for that community, as you and I have. Maybe they don't know if they have to care for that community in the same way. Now, maybe it's difficult for them to feel that kind of ownership. It's important to restore that ability to know that I am here, I am important, I participate, what I do makes a difference, including to exercise my vote. So yeah and I'm impressed that we have been able to get to this point and that those other pieces including introducing young people to their right and responsibility is there as well.
0: well you know one of the things that comes forward in in and in, in for the states that have passed this kind of enfranchisement the the um in, in restoration process the actual participation rates have been kind of slow to get going partly because of this of this sense that that you know, what is my participation in here? We we unfortunately have a, a criminal justice system that, you know, tend tends to really focus on the punitive spaces and and as a society we look down on. And I'm I'm saying this very specifically. I've met I have I have parishioners and folks as a pastor who I've worked with, you know, to try to get jobs, to try to get roles and try to get, you know, their lives. You know, some cases folks who have been living, you know positive contributing to society lives for over 30 years that have something all the way back 30 years ago come back and and mess with their ability to make a livelihood and continue to be active participating citizens and so one of the things I'm I'm hoping for is that as the participation starts to go up that um, folks who are running for office and and political parties and things like that begin to look to these newly enfranchised folks and actually start to hear some of their, um, needs and perspectives in a different way because they're actually votes that do count now. Um, and while there may have been a, 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 a will or an intention to involve folks, vote, the ability to vote <laughs> matters in terms of having folks like, you know, not just hear your voice because people hear voice all the time, but, but like to actually feel pressure to respond to some of those needs. And I'm excited about that prospect for this group in particular.
2: I am too. And you know, I hear what you're saying. It may not have been that we intended those consequences of Mm -hmm. lack of inclusion that continue and that perpetuate as one has paid their debt to society and re-enters and should be accepted and able to now renew those commitments and those rights and responsibilities. That unintended consequence follows them all their life. And, you know, it's not necessarily just unintended because when you think about it, in our society, we have had a way of locking people up and locking people out. Mm -hmm. And this is a way to, through that confusion, through that lack of understanding as to how you get this back, you know, it has been a way of locking people out. And I don't want to say that's been everybody's intent, but that is actually the result uh, that we've experienced. We follow people through their lives with fines and fees and penalties that endure forever. You know, let's think about it. Um, You may have had a fine for a particular offense, and because you haven't been able to work, and pay that fine, you get another fee added on to it. And then when you can't pay it in another six months, you get another fee added mm-hmm. on to that until it's impossible to finish paying that penalty. Well, instead of that penalty, this new law to restore the vote creates an opportunity. Mm-hmm. And it says, you're done. You know, we have held you responsible. And now moving on. To your next responsibility. You do have a right to vote.
0: Now, now we've got work to do though. You just actually opened up a very important piece, right? Like this, this is a step, but I like what you said there. Like we we we've gotta address those other things that pull you back, pull you back into the into the um you know, into connection with that, right? I'm glad to say
2: that. In in Ramsey County, where I served as a commissioner, we've been addressing that and slowly unpacking those fines and fees. We charged to put you in jail. You know, it was $25 (laughs) to go to jail. And if you had a credit card, it was more difficult for us to charge that, actually, administratively. But if you had cash in your pocket, you know, as quite typically the poor might Mm -hmm. in a bank account or in a checking or, or I should say in a a credit system, then we could, we could easily take that. Mm. So we stopped doing that. And there are other court costs and cost of um, the correction system that follow as well and so we've looked very carefully and have worked with national experts and consultants to unpack those and to make certain that we're not plugging budget gaps with those as has mm. been the case in some jurisdictions throughout the United States as may have been the case when we started charging for lockups but mm. we're making certain that we're correcting Those systemic areas that continue to perpetuate that incarcerative effect on people's lives. So thanks for making me go back and get that and (laughs) share that we did that, Anthony. And yes, there's so much more. This is,
1: yeah, this is another, this was just another way to disenfranchise people of color from voting. Right? I mean, if you look at the demographics of who's more likely to be imprisoned. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, One in 19 African-Americans of of voting age is disenfranchised at some at some point, some way. Um, And so I know I didn't notice like a lot of the concern of this uh, coming out of this was like, okay, now they have the right. How can we educate them that? Uh, they can register, that they can vote. There's so much confusion, especially with how other states are handling it. And now there's a lawsuit that will be going, uh, have a hearing in Minnesota um, in October. So basically a month from now, a conservative group has filed a lawsuit that argues that the writers of the state constitution intended for all aspects of a sentence to be completed before civil rights Are restored, um, Mm -hmm. including voting rights. Um, So that's, you know, so it's a big, it's like, yay, we're so happy. And then, of course, someone's going to come and and try to take it away from us again.
2: Right. And so, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness doesn't count (laughs) because (laughs) we have decided, of course, I'm being facetious, but we have decided that we can penalize into perpetuity. Mm -hmm. And that makes sense for any of us. That wouldn't make sense if, you know, you were thinking about, of course, we're not thinking about punishing a child, you know, Mm -hmm. in in a home, you wouldn't do that into perpetuity. You certainly find a space and time when that, when you move beyond that punishment, if you're a good parent, right? And so as people together in community, we need to know that we have to do what works. We know that that kind of punishment beyond a time when a person has been held accountable, just simply does not work. It does not enable people to get back into the flow of life and work and the pursuit of happiness, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. It does not allow us the sense of responsibility that goes with that freedom it doesn't allow us to become the kind of caring people who with that sense of ownership feel that heavy responsibility to be in um to be in partnership as community to maintain that community that loves us and that provides for us and that makes us feel as though we are a part so we have to do what works and as we discover as we hear from those who have been penalized in incarceration their desire and their need to participate And as we see the work that they've done, because it certainly wasn't just legislators. No. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But as we've seen the effort to get back that privilege, that right, that responsibility, as we see the effort they're putting forward, you have to understand how
0: important that is. I'm so glad you brought that into the mix because, you know, doing what we know works and one of the things that uh that comes onto my radar in, in from a clergy space is pro-social activities so we know that there's these lists of pro-social activities that folks who have been incarcerated when they come out the more they exercise or get to participate in these pro-social activities the less recidivism there is the more um folks you know have an opportunity to 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 right. do something different. And, and we have so many things. Yeah, to contribute. We have so many things that 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 just puts you in a space where you go back to a hopelessness that makes you look for extra legal, <laughs> non-legal ways to survive. Um, when these pro, this, voting is one of the, 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 the standout, the sentencing project says that voting is among uh, a range of pro-social behaviors with justice impacted persons can partake like uh, getting a college education, going to church, participating in community um, uh, 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 events, but among Americans with a history of criminal legal system involvement, having the right to vote or the act of voting is is one of the mo- highest indicators related to reduced recidiv- recidivism out of all of the pro social activities studied. Wow! So, so yeah. the data is clear about that, right? And and we just this this moves us, and I love how simplistic it is. Um, uh, that one in one of the articles, Steve Simon says, is talking to a group of folks and says, "Look, there is no there is no complication to this. Once you're out, you can vote. Period. Full stop." And I love the simplicity of this in that regard, and it just follows what our research actually tells us about what works well for for getting folks back into society.
1: And I really just don't understand the 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 opposition. What is the opposition that we are just not following our our state uh, constitution by, you know, not letting them wait out to be off paper? I mean, yeah. that's what the that's what the lawsuit says. But what is the real reasoning behind yeah. people pushing back on this? It seems to me. Okay, very simple. Like you said, you're out of prison, you can go vote. Easy. Yeah. But there is this pushback. And, and that, that's the part that I don't understand.
2: Yeah. And, you know, it's it's a practice of discrimination, in essence. Uh, yeah, I, I won't reach back too far because I know that there will be complaints if I do. But, you know, if you think about it, the categories of people... And how we discriminate is somewhat ridiculous. There are some things that should be a part of being human. Mm -hmm. And if we draw lines around your being more human than I am, or vice versa, then that actually destroys our concept of what human is. Certainly, if I have paid my debt already to society, I should be able to vote. And we know that that even this payment of debt is nebulous. Mm -hmm. Already we understand that the prison industrial system gobbles up certain people and refuses to nibble on others. Mm. So if already we have people who are more likely to be in that system, then that gives us a more likely opportunity for certain people to experience that discrimination. It doesn't make a lot of sense when you unpack it that we would aggravate that ability to discriminate.
0: So I won't get in as much trouble if I come out and say it and connect it to some historical pieces. So I mean this as pastorally as possible from a clergy perspective. <laughs> it it a lot of these activities that we have in this regard, um, they 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 look and sound a lot like the fence post rules. These these are, are laws that came up across the South where where you know you go to jail if you steal a fence post, if you loiter, if you all these things, these black codes that came up that incarcerated all of these formerly enslaved folks. That in some space parts of the country restored a workforce that sh- that was lost mm-hmm. after the Civil War. Mm-hmm. I, I it, you know this this idea that I'm going to try to withhold something from you mm-hmm. and have a reason to do so um, in order to have and, and, and in many ways it feels like power over. and and because let me be clear in full full disclosure, I'm a proponent of of felons maintaining and retaining their mm-hmm. right to vote. Even in prison, I I well, I, I, I don't understand. You just came going.
1: right out with it. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I mean, they're still citizens, right? And right. they still live in this state and in this country. Yep.
0: And and so I, I think I think it's it, it's important to make those 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 ties because uh, it, it helps us reevaluate why do we do things. For me, largely that court case is going to the Supreme Court is political, cultural in nature, rather than human in nature. I mean, we look at the the rates of incarceration and the recidivism in many other places. I remember being on a call um, with other clergy and we were talking to, um, I think it was was either Denmark, it was one of the Scandinavian countries, and we were waiting to talk to uh, uh, inmates in that correctional facility. And it and, it, and it didn't realize till I was having just a kind of what I thought was just, you know, uh, everyday conversation, just regular kind of just shooting, you know, shooting the stuff, <laughs> you know, to borrow that colloquialism conversation. And I'm looking at somebody who's in an apartment furnished with a bookshelf behind, there's a computer in there and stuff like that. And then I asked the question, you know, when are the inmates going to come onto the call? And he says, I've been here this whole time. And I realized that I'm talking to somebody in a furnished apartment. Now, they don't have the ability to just go and do anything or go anywhere. They've got restrictions. But we're we're in a space where their whole focus is on re-engaging society in a a positive way. And it's not done by removing every right you have to be human away. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm looking at folks who there's a whole kitchen set in in behind them like this is a person in jail with access to knives a refrigerator and cooking stuff and they're in there with folks who have done many now there is a a, a more ma- a more secure space for folks who have who are really violent but but for all of the folks who are either nonviolent or low grade violent offenses they were in this space together navigating this space together and it didn't look anything like we think of jail. Mm-hmm. And their recidivism rate was so low that they had to really look for examples of Mm. somebody who just this didn't work for. And it's just a completely different philosophy. And so the concept in that conversation of somebody not getting to participate in democratic processes as a result of their incarceration was Mm. so, like, absurd. They were looking at us as the barbaric ones, Mm -hmm. as the inmates that we were talking to. And we were mostly clergy.
1: (laughs) I mean, I like that you brought you brought a few things up there that is important, and it's it's ignorance, uh, both voluntary and involuntary. I think on the behalf of the these people bringing up this this uh, court case, is that they don't know what really happens. They don't know um, what it's like, right, to be in prison or anything like that. They they think, I mean, they just, it's like, it's like what they see in the movies, what they see on TV. Mm-hmm. Um, they think, oh, felon, murder, rape, kidnapping. Mm-hmm. But there's a large spectrum of violent and nonviolent felonies that you can get. But, and and it's a scare tactic. It's a... I know it's a a way to continue to disenfranchise people, but those are the ways, those are the things that they're using to make it seem like this is a bad idea. You know, these mm-hmm. are violent people coming out of prison who shouldn't be able to, to vote, that kind of stuff. And that that that's the kind of language and the excuses being used that really, I mean, pisses me off.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And well, even know, the men, oh, go ahead. Uh, no, I was, I was just going to say that uh, a right that people hold dear, something that people hold dear, is that kind of thing that will most typically um, be held aside and reserved for certain people. And, and not to others. When you think about it, of course, from the, the beginning of our American Constitution, it was white males that were able to vote. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. White male yeah. landowners. Yeah. 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 Over the age of 21, white males were able to vote. Women were not. And, of course, not those people who were only three-quarter human beings. And so that is something that over time has been extended as well it should have been. But sometimes it may feel as though this extension was improper. We need to take it back. And I do think we're experiencing that at this time in American history, Hmm. that we've got this grab back attitude going on. And we have to protect against that and understand that our logic tells us and our spirit of goodwill and understanding and our knowledge, the data and knowing what works tells us that that's not right. And we just got to out that ain't right.
0: No, it ain't right. There's a line in a play that I was in talking about, no, it ain't right. But that's how I know we're going to be free one day, right? Uh, but but one of the things that I, I find, you know, to that point, um, you know, and this resistance that you that you asked about and that you spoke to, um, uh, I don't even know what to call you in this space. You do have to edit this out, Flea. <laughs> um, but <laughs> I guess I'll say Miss Carter for it. <laughs> Um, I keep wanting to almost called you Commissioner Carter again and now uh, you retired. Uh-huh. Um, but, you know, one of the things that you bring bring up, I think it's important, um, you know, is the impact, this real human impact that this has on people's lives. Um, the Supreme Court rejected a, an American Civil Liberties Union challenge that argued that the state's restrictions were unconstitutional back in 2018. Um, and I know that there's an other challenges to, to it as well. But one of the things that, That came out is the Supreme Court, Um, the Minnesota Supreme Court acknowledged that 1% of white people, 6% of black people, and again, 9% of Native American people. We often don't, you know, uh, pay attention to the fact that Native Americans often Mm -hmm. have have much higher percentages in some of our negative outcomes than we think of. Um, and uh, in, could not vote in 2018 because they had been convicted of a felony but had not completed all the things that would put you, quote-unquote, on paper. Mm-hmm. But the restoring this vote would reduce those percentages to 0.1%, 1.5%, and 2% respectively. So uh-huh. we're talking about real people who now have the ability to participate in a way um, uh, that—, that that should have, in, in my opinion, should have always been there. I mean, what better way than you know to keep somebody as participating in society than to keep them retaining the the things that allow you to participate in society? It just it it, it boggles my mind, and so I'm, I'm so glad that we've made this 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 move. But again, now we've got folks who want to go back to some kind of whether it's real or not, and that's the thing, right? Uh, taking this right away doesn't change any of the prospects for the folks who've been convinced that culturally we should grab these things back. It actually is very, again, similar to Civil War propaganda. The majority of poor whites in the South did not own slaves, yet were convinced that somehow that they benefited from from slavery in the United States when it was the single greatest cause of the depression of their ability to earn wealth and prosperity in the United Mm -hmm. States. So we can culturally convince ourselves that something um that works entirely against us is for us as long as the talking points are there, yes. as long as somebody's loud about it. And I mm-hmm. think that this is one of those things, again, it does not serve us to disenfranchise people who have served their time. It doesn't dis- it doesn't uh help us to have people in prison not be able to vote. <laughs> um, in fact, we would we would have it, it The enfranchisement of everybody in the United States only helps everybody to be more on one page. We'd have less gridlock down to the wire on issues that affect people's lives. I mean, there's so many benefits. And so I I think this is a win for us, but we will watch, as we've talked about many times on Counter Stories, um, the pushback that comes with any advancement. Um, And the only thing I'll I'll bring up, too, is just because we we brought the history piece of it. This is not unlike— um, the arguments that have happened for a, a universe, some kind of universal system for healthcare. Mm-hmm. Um, if you go back in history, one of the things that that is going to be coming out more and more as some of the some historians are getting louder about this is some of the major arguments against that. When Roosevelt brought it forward, when Truman brought it forward, when Kennedy brought it forward, when Lyndon Baines Johnson brought it forward, all of these administrations have brought this forward. The sing- one of the greatest arguments that have continued to recap. Is the concern that a certain subset of people would get this, get access to this, and we didn't want that. It was mm-hmm. much more overtly racist mm-hmm. in the beginning and has found other scapegoats and other um, language to wrap itself in. Right. But it's again this issue, this concern that somebody else getting something means I'm going to get less, yes. and that just isn't true. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah,
1: yeah. Each yeah. state really does this differently, and and I guess Florida. Stands out the most. Florida has the highest. Florida has the highest number of disenfranchised citizens. More than one point one million people are currently prohibited from casting a ballot. Um, in to- two thousand eighteen, it was on the ballot restoring the vote, the voting rights to to people who had completed their prison sentence. Sixty five percent of people in Florida were, were all for it, mm. but Governor DeSantis uh, was not okay, they can vote, but they have to pay all their outstanding fees. Oh, yes. Which, mm-hmm. as, yeah. as Ms. Carter had mentioned before, those fees keep piling up and piling yeah. up. And so you don't get – you don't. it's so hard to get to the end of those fees to be able to vote. And and that's the tactic. Um, and then there's voter fraud, right? Everybody complains about voter fraud. And Florida yeah. was like, oh, we had voted – they had 20 cases. And those mm-hmm. are people who – um, were felons who who didn't understand the law, nice. who
2: thought they were eligible to vote. Mm-hmm. You, know, so, you know, when you when ahead. you think about it, there are so many ways that you can um, keep people from voting, and I think all of them have been tried in Florida. <laughs> but <laughs> the, the point is, you cannot. You simply cannot. Should not put up barriers to voting. Voter registration is required, i think in in at least most states, but same day registration is possible. Registration with a friend who vouches for you is possible. Voting on a Saturday or Sunday. You know, we opened up during COVID in ways that we never have before. And all of this is to make certain that people are able to get to vote. No way should we be thinking about all the ways we can keep people from voting. That certainly is a mindset currently that we have to look forward to just tearing down. We have to be able to debate that voting is a right of every citizen. You know, we have requirements for citizenship, of course. Voting is a right of every citizen, and we have to protect it, you know, be it felon voting, be it, um, you know, the ability to vote at opportune times Mm -hmm. in different ways. We have to be able to securely protect the vote of people. And so I'm thankful for this legislation. I also want to, as as Anthony, you have said, watch and be certain that we're able to protect it and protect our voters.
0: You know, and, and as we as we close here, you know, Hlee, you brought up some of the, you know, opposition that goes to things like this. And some of it is just opposition for opposition's sake, in my opinion. But Um, I think it's important to note and I and I'm a critique of all of our political parties often and so (laughs) um, you know for various different ways I mean it wasn't it wasn't long ago before there were uh, many folks um, well I won't get into that but there are arguments that try to tie participation like voting and other things to um, the levels of crime that are here and I think we've kind of you know Stepped out of that usual mode, but some of the opposition tries to um assert that somehow this is um you know weakening our toughness on crime. So we have that argument and trope that keeps that has mm. been responsible for locking up so many people of color unfairly, especially in a nonviolent space. So we we know how that plays in various communities, but also um, and, and it's across party lines, right? So there's opposition to this that doesn't necessarily come from one political party or another that says um that somehow this. Um, that that people who have created committed super, super heinous crimes should have some different level, that somehow it's bad to treat everybody the same.
2: Mm-hmm. And it
0: can completely ignores the fact that there is no public health uh benefit to removing uh the uh the right to vote from folks. And then also, you know, these notions that crime is high and all these different things, and we've already talked about that on our show. That the data just doesn't back up many of those things. There's certain types, and it's like context and nuance that you know works for your argument if you ignore all of that. Um, but but this one just doesn't play that way. And mm-hmm. and uh, some of the other opposition that, um, uh, that has come up in here um, has said has noted that um, you know paper's just fine, getting off paper. Is, is, you know, there are these attempts to weaken this legislation that came from many different folks. Um, and again, it just kept coming back to the main thing. What is our benefit, right? Mm-hmm. And what is the case for removing this Right? We're not talking about taking sentences off. We're not talking about saying anybody has to serve less time. We're talking about having folks participate fully in society. And the bill is written for when they get out. So all the arguments about why you went in the first place are null and void because this is at the point when we have decided that you have served your time and you are done. Right. And so those are some of the things that those arguments didn't h- hold up to um, and were, and were, bu- and re- and were buffeted or rebuffed, excuse me, uh, because they just didn't, they, they were trying to answer a cultural question that has nothing to do with the actual uh, legislation itself.
1: On top of that, there's this whole concept or this idea that, you know, you go to prison and you're re, quote unquote, rehabilitated, right? To come out a better citizen than you were when you went in. And yet we won't give you the opportunity to do that. Yeah. It's the, all of these conflicting mm-hmm. excuses and sayings that have been told over the years. That it just, it, it really.
2: Of course, we've debunked the theory that prison actually rehabilitates. Right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> to so You know, I, I'm going to let you finish that. Then I have to add one more thing.
1: I was just going to say, and then, you know, when people end up going back to prison, it's because the rehabilitation didn't work and they deserve to go back to prison. And it's not because, you know. uh, We failed at some way. Yeah, it's not because we failed in some way. It's because that person came out not wanting to have been rehabilitated. And so they are going back in, not realizing that it might have just been a $25 fee that they didn't pay that sent them back in.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Over time, it really Mm -hmm. has You know, I just wanted to point out, too, we've talked about pro-social behaviors and voting is one of those pro-social behaviors, such as participating, volunteering, uh, contributing to community. And, you know, when we think about the social determinants of health, we have to include the thought that, and I've seen it somewhere reported, actually from studies that people who vote self-report better health and that people who didn't vote were reporting worse health in subsequent Mm. years. Mm. But when you think about pro-social, pro-health, voting is very much a pro-health activity as well. And I just wanted to be sure not to forget to add (laughs) mm -hmm. As we are smarter these days, we know that there are social determinants of health, voting is one.
0: And and I think I, I want to, I wanna, you know, as, as we wrap up here, I think this has been a a great kind of introduction to this multipart part series. It's going to, you know, unpack more and more about this legislation. But um, one of the things I want to stress is in case you were thinking that this is a party line thing. Now, there are some elements to the debate that's been like that. But um, if you go to the Sentencing Project um, at sentencingproject.org, you'll actually see a map of the United States about who has no restrictions, who has prison-only restrictions, which is what Minnesota has just become, um, who requires the completion of prison, parole, and probation, and who requires prison, parole, probation, and post-sentence, which is what we used to be. Um, and the map does not fall along political lines. It does, you know, it doesn't overlay with the political map. There are are, are Democratic and and uh, Republican controlled um, legislatures across the country who are on multiple sides of mm-hmm. of, of these. And so, I, I think what this bill one of the things that this bill has done is moved is 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 really tried to move this out of a conversation that's a political football into one that's about the fundamental rights of human beings and i think those we can always do we're always serviced when we have when we shift to those kinds of conversations i want to thank you for for um being with us uh miss carter carter formerly former commissioner uh Um, tony carter um, and uh, I can't wait to look uh, forward to our next episode or next episodes where we'll be in our in continuing our legislative wrap up, um, talking to legislators who were involved and some of the folks who are on the ground marshalling for this to see how we got here. Um, to take a little bit of live about what that kind of organizing from community looks like. Um, and I think you'll be surprised at some of the things that have come up uh, when we start talking to some of the things that laid the groundwork. Um, I'm Anthony Galloway, senior partner at the Dendros Group and pastor of St. Mark AME Church in Duluth, Minnesota.
1: I'm Halili, owner of the Other Media Group, VP of Programming at Ampers and Counter Stories
2: producer. And our guest? Thank you. I'm Tony Carter. I started to say Ramsey County Commissioner. That was then. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> a council person for District 14 Metropolitan Council and consultant with Sankofa Leadership
0: Network. Look forward to connecting with you next time. This has been Counter Stories, a co-production of the Counter Stories crew and Ampers, diverse radio for Minnesota's communities with support from the Minnesota Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund. For our full conversation, please visit counterstories.com.